Welcome to the Beckham Down Podcast. This is your host, Coach Johnson. In this episode, we're going to be talking about each game from the Thursday schedule in the NBA. In the first game of the day, we had the Sacramento Kings taking on the New Orleans Pelicans. For the Kings, this was an offensive explosion, something we had not seen from them very much in the bubble. Bogdanovich got off to a good start with 16 points on 4 or 5, shooting from the three-point line. Where we, we saw some improvement on the defensive end from the Kings is their ability to guard without fouling. And the Pelicans were not able to get to the free throw line to develop any type of rhythm shooting-wise. And they weren't able to get those extra points that the Kings were getting from getting to the free throw line. It really looked like a layup line and three-point shooting competition for the Kings. In this game, the Kings' offense became so potent due to the rhythm they got because of getting their shooters involved early in this game, which opened up space for Fox to operate in the half court and in transition, which makes him dangerous. I really think this is a recipe for success for how the Kings should look to attack in the coming games as they try to work their way into that eighth seed in the West. Bogdanovich continued his hot shooting onto a career-high 35 points. They are now 14-10 with him in the starting lineup. For the Pelicans... The Pelicans really looked disinterested in this game, playing any type of defense. I'm very surprised by this because their defensive rating was near the top of the league once they got Zion into the lineup. This is the most points they've given up in a quarter this season with 49 points in the first quarter. No rim protection from Favors really hurts his team as he gets a majority of the minutes at the five. Jackson Hayes is really going to need to progress quickly. Not in this season, but coming up in the following seasons as they're really going to need that rim protection to help this team's team defense. But the Kings' defense wasn't great either as the Pelicans were shooting 60% from the field early in this game. The Kings had no answer for Zion in the paint, and that is what exactly the Pelicans should have focused on to get back in this game. They needed to slow it down and grind out a win, but they never got to that. They tried to play an up-and-down game with the Kings, which the Kings were better at in this game. I really think they need to turn Zion loose with the ball and let him become a facilitator, playmaker. He is such a good passer. A lot of head-scratching decisions made by Gentry in this game. I was not able to understand the rotation he was implementing due to how much he would take out all of his starters at once and put in the bench guys, or take out a majority of the starters and leaving in a couple of them and bringing in the bench players, especially when they would make runs and get back in this game. The big thing for New Orleans defense in this game is that there was not one singular 
issue to why they were playing bad. There was multiple ones, especially with this team being so prone to turnovers. And, you know, you saw frustration start to take over in this team as the poor play mounts on top of them. And we see bad body language as Brandon Ingram starts throwing his headband into the bench. And it doesn't look like the Pelicans are going to be able to dig themselves out of this. One of the things that I think the Pelicans need to address moving forward is getting a scoring post player, someone that they can throw to on the block and let them go get easy baskets. I also think a lack of on-court chemistry is really hurting this team with the new additions that they have to the roster and just the young team that they possess. One of the bright spots for the Pelicans today was Lonzo Ball. I thought he didn't try to do too much as a scorer and really got his teammates involved. I thought this was the best game for him since the restart. In the next game, we had the Miami Heat taking on the Bucks, talking about the Heat. Even without Butler and Dragic, this team showcased what makes them so dangerous. They're a very versatile team that can shoot, move the ball, and defend because of their size and strength. Bam Adebayo is the defensive anchor of this team, which gives a legit reason why they can beat the Bucks. He has great length, a strong core, and is very athletic. He can handle the bumps from Giannis that not many players can. Unfortunately, in this game, he got into foul trouble. But you have guys like Butler, Crowder, Iguodala, and Myers that are going to be helping in what many people think is going to be a playoff series. Speaking of Crowder and Iguodala, they've been able to fill in tremendously for the Heat with Butler's injury. Solomon Hill was able to do a few good things in the minutes he received today on the defensive end of the floor. You know, why can they give the Bucks fits is due to the fact with a healthy Heat team that they have guys like Dragic, Butler, and Nunn that can all go get their own offense off of the dribble, something that the Bucks are not doing a great job of defending. The Bucks have given up a lot of perimeter shots lately, and the Heat made them pay in this game, going 21 for 46 from the three-point line. A lot of this came in the first half as the Heat cooled off after the break. When the Heat were really flowing offensively, they took advantage of the Bucks' mistakes by over-rotating defensively. I really think the reason the Heat lost this game was because they ran out of gas playing with a few less players than they usually have. The Heat need to come up with a defensive strategy to pack the paint when Giannis tries to get to the rim. I think some of this can be taken care of by running more zone against Milwaukee. Talking about the Bucks, it is important to remember that the Bucks are still working Bledsoe and Pat Connaughton back into the rotation after being without them for some period of time. But it is alarming for a team that ranked near the top in points per game allowed that they have given up 73 points in the first half in the last two games.
when Milwaukee needs to, where Milwaukee needs to improve at is guarding the perimeter. In the first half, the Heat really caused problems in transition. But at, even with the Heat building such a big lead, the Bucks were able to erase that 23-point lead by creating a lot of Miami turnovers. They did a much better job of guarding Miami's actions in the second half as the Heat run a lot of their shooters off of ball, off of screens away from the ball and bring their ball handlers into a lot of handoffs to let them get downhill to into the paint, causing the defense to pack in and they're able to kick out to the shooters that they possess on this roster. They were able to guard this better by the guards and wings working hard to get through on ball screens. The one-on-one defense was much better as well. The Bucks ended the game on a 20-0 run. Giannis ended up with 33 points as Milwaukee was able to play in transition a lot more in the second half, which allowed for him to come downhill with a full head of steam. This then allowed for the shooters to have open looks which in this case, you really have to pick your poison of which one you're going to let get going. In the next game, we had the undefeated Indiana Pacers taking on the undefeated Phoenix Suns. This is the first game that TJ Warren performed poorly on the offensive side of the ball in the bubble. He missed his first four shots before going six for eight and Then foul trouble really cooled him off. Phoenix was very aggressive in their one-on-one defense versus Warren. You could tell that a part of the defensive game plan from the Suns was to not let TJ Warren get matched up on Booker. A lot of his looks defensively during the game were Michael Bridges as he's the best perimeter wing defender that the Suns have. A smart strategy implemented by the Suns was the drop coverage in pick-and-roll situations when a Turner screen would take place as they forced a jump shot from Warren or let Turner pop and shoot. Unfortunately, this was a brilliant, wasted effort by the Pacers in losing this game as Malcolm Brogdon had his strongest game so far since returning from injury. And he was able to play comfortable the whole game, not getting sped up too much. And that's what you have to take away from him is his pace. When he does get sped up, then he isn't as good. Another part of this game where it got away from the bl- from the Pacers is when Betadiz Came in the second half. He did not do a great job of protecting the rim. During this time, Cameron Payne was able to continue his run that he was making to get the Suns the lead after going down. A big concern for the Pacers in the games before this and in this game is rebounding as they ended as a negative 15 on the glass. 
for the Suns, you can see the confidence that this team is playing with. I think that they are doing it on the defensive side of the floor as they're really causing problems for opponents with them being extremely physical and pressuring the ball. Michael Bridges did a phenomenal job on TJ Warren all game. They're playing at a fast pace as a team, and teams are allowing them to dictate the tempo and not the other way around. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton were the primary threats during this game. The pick-and-roll game involving those guys gave the Pacers a lot of problems. Indiana couldn't contain the dribbler. When they tried to resort to a different way of guarding it, you know, mostly when they trapped, the Suns were able to find the roll man. Where the Pacers were able to get back into this game is when Booker went to the bench with foul trouble in the third. The Suns really lacked a go-to guy. And, you know, you thought the Pacers were going to be able to take advantage of that and win this game. But it was someone that has continued to play well in the bubble as Cameron Payne came through big during the Suns' 21-0 run. Sarich also stepped up during the time with 11 points of his own. Booker comes back into the game for the Suns and caps off a 12-2 run by scoring six points of his own, leading the Suns to a victory, remaining undefeated in the bubble going 4-0. We will be back shortly after a quick word from our sponsor, Anchor. In the next game, we had the Dallas Mavericks taking on the Los Angeles Clippers. Talking about the Clippers, the Clippers had a really good start offensively as they had a lot of good shot selection, but they also struggled on the glass, an area of concern for this team as they just don't have a lot of great rebounders, especially with Harrell out. They gave up way too many offensive rebounds in this game, but Zubak is having himself a night against the Mavs as he dominated the paint, rebounding, and being someone that the Clippers could throw the ball into, and he would score as he finished with 21 points and 15 rebounds on a night going 10 for 10. You know, someone that, this is someone that the Mavericks really needed to step up and box him out as he killed him on the glass. The Clippers offensive rating with him on the floor was 200 plus. I want to say it was like 203.5, which if you're new to the game, that means with Zubak on the floor, the Clippers were playing like a team on the offensive side of the ball that was on pace to score 200 plus points. The Mavericks made a run to tie this game up in the third, but with a run from Jermichael Green and Kawhi, they really took control of this game moving forward. Paul George really took away the Mavs' last chance at winning this game with a big three-pointer. A couple of big takeaways from this game, Kawhi played 38 minutes and looked much more fluid than he has in the previous games. Jermichael Green was the only clipper off the bench with a positive plus-minus. This is 
starting to be a little bit of a concern as Reggie Jackson has seemingly regressed in each game since the strong game versus the Lakers as he'd performed poorly on both sides of the ball in this game. And, you know, the Clippers were were without Patrick Beverly as well. But Lou Will's still trying to get back his legs. And hopefully he becomes a better impact on this team than he has in his first two games. I really think Marcus Morris is starting to find his rhythm with this team on the offensive side of the ball and defensively. Also, the Clippers' execution in the half court down the stretch of this game was much better than previous games. For the Mavs, the Mavs went big to start the game with Porzingis and Boban, and I think it gave the Clippers a little bit of fits and gave them a different look than they're used to. I thought Luka's play on Kawhi on the defensive side of the ball was very good. The defensive rotations of the Mavs in this game was very subpar. One of my biggest problems with this Dallas team is their lack of physicality. With the success that Zubak was having, there was no reason that Boban should not have been playing as he is a really good good rebounder and somewhat that can provide offense as well. The Mavs seem to be losing their legs a little bit in the third as their shots were falling short. But as the third quarter came to a close, you felt not good going into the fourth because the third, the second half woes continued for the Mavericks in this game. But Porzingis really stepped up and became the go-to guy for the Mavs in the fourth quarter as he was able to hit a few threes and a pair of free throws, one of them off of a technical from Paul George. And I really think he will be the key component for this team in a potential upset when these teams see each other again in the first round of the playoffs. The one thing about the Mavericks that has really been hurt by the injuries to Jalen Brunson, Seth Curry, and Dwight Powell is that this has depleted their death which early in the season was able to match up with the Los Angeles Clippers. Now for what was the most exciting game of the day, we had the Portland Trailblazers taking on the Denver Nuggets. Talking about the Nuggets, the Nuggets were without five rotational players tonight, so we have to keep that in mind when looking at this game as a whole because they're still down Will Barton, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap didn't play tonight, and Jokic ended up not playing for some period of time. But the most positive thing is that Michael Porter Jr. is not slowing down. He was able to get to his spots against Melo and Zach Collins. We'll talk about what the Trailblazers did to combat that when we get to them. But the fact that the Nuggets have gotten Michael Porter Jr. and Bull Bull in their lower-than-expected draft positions is not fair as this team is going to be set up for a long time. Bull Bull might be the smoothest big man to ever play with his size and ball handling ability and ability to shoot. 
There was one play in particular that he caught it on the wing, ripped through, drove it, Euro-stepped around Nurchich and threw it down. Not many people can make that play. The Nuggets really, in the fourth quarter, employed one of their big lineups and were able to get everything at the rim. The offensive versatility and IQ of Michael Porter Jr. is very elite. You know, he was making some backdoor cuts, playing as the ball handle and pick and roll situations, and just looked really good in the half court versus the Trailblazers. That big lineup really allowed Denver to control the glass. In this game, I really thought Nuggets missed Jamal Murray and Gary Harris as the Nuggets had no one to make Dane work on the defensive end of the ball or was talented, athletically gifted enough to try and defend him. The fourth quarter where the Nuggets were able to get going as their off-the-ball movement really hurt the Blazers as they were able to find a lot of cutters, as I mentioned earlier with Michael Porter Jr. in one instance. But Dane proved to be too much for the Nuggets in this game. One of the lone, you know, negative looks at the Trailblazers is Zach Collins because I don't know if there's been a more dreadful player to watch in the bubble than Zach Collins. I do recognize that he is returning from injury, but man, it's just been bad. You see Nurchich, and I know Collins isn't as polished as him. But, you know, he's not getting it done defensively, not hitting any shots from the perimeter or finishing around the basket. So hopefully he can get things going for this Trailblazers team. This is really the first game that Damian Lillard was aggressive from the jump on the offensive side of the ball, usually taking his time, letting his teammates get going early before he takes over. Talking about what the Trailblazers did to slow down Michael Porter Jr. As they put Gary Trent Jr. on him for the rest of the game after that first quarter, and he provided resistance to slow him down. Offensively, the Nurchich and Dame pick and roll was so effective against the Nuggets because of Dame's ability to shoot off of it. He commands so much attention from the big in these scenarios which leaves Nurchich open on the roll. This causes teams to help on the roll, leaving guys like McCollum and Gary Trent Jr. open on the perimeter to knock down shots. Nurchich is so important to this team as he commands so much attention and opens the floor for guys like Dame, McCollum, Mello, and Trent Jr. I can't talk about how phenomenal Gary Trent Jr. is has been in the bubble. He's just been incredible. I have not seen the, his plus and minus from the end of this game, but in the third quarter, he had accumulated a plus and minus of plus 49 since the NBA restart. In the last game of the day, we had the Los Angeles Lakers taking on the Houston Rockets. Without LeBron, the Lakers were experimental in this game as they implemented some small ball lineups as they did not play JaVale McGee in this game and only played Dwight Howard 20 minutes 
but they implemented the small ball lineups to match up with the Rockets and maybe give them some different looks moving forward. Kyle Kuzma stepped up in the absence of LeBron as he had 21 points to go along with three assists and five rebounds. The Lakers need to get back to the drawing board so as they must figure out how to attack the Houston switches on defense because this may be an opponent they have in the playoffs. I'm just trying to figure out how much of their confidence has taken a hit from the bad three-point shooting. Then they didn't even attempt one single three-pointer in the second quarter and missed all six of their attempts in the first quarter. It does not look like the Lakers are able to make anything happen without LeBron on the court. This is the first time that the Lakers have dropped back-to-back games all season. And maybe a more alarming thing, this is the third time held under 100 points since the NBA restart in their five games. I think some of the shooting woes for the Lakers are systematic as they only rank 22nd in the league in three-point attempts. I think if they would you know, shoot some more perimeter shots bearing that they are good open looks, the, you can see a better offensive output from this Lakers team. Another head-scratching thing, when the Lakers have played the small ball Rockets, Anthony Davis settles too many times of taking turnaround jump shots over P.J. Tucker, Harden, whoever's guarding him in the post, instead of really asserting himself on the block, getting deep position, and finishing over him. Talking about the Rockets, the Rockets really caused the Lakers problems defensively with their switching. Harden in this game was not phased as much by the double team sent his way. You could tell from the jump that it was important for the Rockets to get in the paint and find their teammates. With Westbrook out, Harden was able to operate on his own terms on his way to 39 points and 12 assists. His supporting cast stepped up big in the absence of Westbrook with big performance from Ben McLemore, who continues to play very well. He had 20 points in this game. Jeff Green added in another 15, and Daniel House scored 13 as they hit down an array of perimeter shots like we're used to seeing from the Rockets. But the most important thing about Houston and Harden is been his commitment to defense. His communication on that end of the floor has been very on point, helping this team take another step in becoming a title contender. Harden was much more aggressive in attacking the traps in this game. The ball moved freely out of his hands as the Rockets whipped it around the perimeter, and they racked up 26 assists instead of the usually... ISO dribble-heavy possessions we're used to seeing from the Rockets. Maybe this is something that they're going to look at and try to focus more on moving forward in the final games of the regular season moving into the playoffs. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Back'em Down podcast. I want to thank you for coming back and listening Also, if you want to become a monthly contributor to the show, please click the link at the bottom of the show notes. 
hope to have you all back for the next episode of the Back Em Down podcast.